Hey everybody, we are back with Talking Jacks Extra. I am here, as always, with my wonderful co-host, Ben Goswan, aka Goose. My name is Alex Warren. I'm trying to do a better job of saying my name at the beginning of the show for any listening. <laughs> How are you doing this week, Ben? I'm doing good. Doing it's been a it's been a good week. We have a game on Saturday, luckily, so we have an extra day of patience, I guess. Or preparation, I guess you could say as well. But uh, how are you doing, Alex? I'm good. Can't complain. It's uh, March Madness started this afternoon, so that's one of my favorite. It's like the, you know, one of my favorite four days in sports where you just get. It's like basketball for like twelve hours a day for four days. So that's that's always cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good start. My Vermont Catamounts got knocked out in the first round. I but... saw that, but they put up a good fight. At least we were there. That's, yeah. That's nice. That's a, that's a lot that's more than count. most teams can say. Exactly. <laughs> well, we got a little bit of Charlotte Independence news to bring you before we do our interview. Um, the first bit of news is that we have a new goalkeeper. Uh, we finally have two on the... Or no, we now, now we have three on the squad. Um, we do. His name is Curtis Anderson. He is from England. Uh, I do not remember which city, but he comes from the Manchester City Academy. So mm-hmm. one would presume that he is from the Manchester area. Um I'm not really sure. He is 18 years old, I believe, or has he just turned 19? He is a youngin. I know that. I think he like just recently turned 18 because he okay. was playing with the U17s for England. Uh, That's last right. Year, he was yes. Saying. He won the U17 yeah. World Cup as the starting goalkeeper with England. Mm-hmm. They knocked out our beloved United States men's national team U17s, I believe, like by a score of like three or four to one. Um, in I think the semifinals maybe quarterfinals or semifinals was one mm. of those um but they beat Andrew Carlton and Tim Weah and those guys um back Ooh. in the fall I believe it was or maybe it was in the summer I don't know I can't keep up with all those tournament the youth tournaments because <laughs> there seems like there's one every year so it's hard to keep yeah. up I think that U20 World Cup is later this year um it feels like we just had a U20 World Cup so I don't know it's really hard to keep up with that kind of stuff but regardless Curtis played for the Young Three Lions, um, mm-hmm. and it was was very good for them. Actually, scored the winning penalty in the penalty shootout in the final. Yeah, um, not so sure many goalkeepers can say that. No, not many. So you know, obviously he's got he's going to be the penalty taker from day one. Um, yeah, right. So if we draw if we draw a penalty on Saturday, I I fully <laughs> expect him to come and take it, rather even <laughs> even if he's coming off the bench. Um, if, yeah, if Brandon right. Miller gets the start. I, I fully expect, you know, if there's a penalty situation, Curtis is going to come in um, and then, I guess, play striker the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is um, this is an in- interesting move. I think there was a little bit of confusion at first. It was first reported by the league as a loan from Manchester mm-hmm. City, but um, that was quickly corrected. Um, he is a permanent signing, uh, as permanent yeah. as you can be in USL. It's Those guys are usually signed for, you know, two a year or two with an option on the end. Um, so what, what are, what were your kind of thoughts about it, Ben? Um, first of all, I was really surprised that we had signed him. Um, cause when I had originally heard some rumors, finally seen his name that we had signed a goalkeeper from Manchester city, I was like, Oh, okay. We're getting him on loan. Cause that's the only logical conclusion. We're yeah. not going to sign a keeper. It, it, no matter how young he is, we're not going to sign a keeper away from Manchester City. Um, but we did. Um, and he's a pretty darn good one, uh, it seems like. Um, of course, he's 17, which is probably like 
12 in uh, on-field uh, position age. Yeah, so in, goal, in, goalkeeper, in goalkeeper years, he's 12. That's yeah. a good way to put it. <laughs> goalkeeper years. Um, that's what I was trying to say. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think ultimately, it's curious because based on his statements, it seems like he's not just a depth ad, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as you may assume a 17-year-old goalkeeper would be. Um, I don't think I have the quote in front of me. But essentially, he had said that uh, McGinnis had he didn't want to miss the opportunity to play and get first team minutes um, with a club, and that's why he left Manchester City. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming a lot there, but you, you could one could assume that he will potentially be a rotational type keeper. Um, which really, I love Brandon Miller. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I think competition is always good. I mean, you've seen it with a number of clubs here and there that will kind of rotate some keepers here and there. Um, and I think ultimately competition will be good. For Brandon Miller, will be good for, for Anderson as well, um, all things considered. But well, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, when I first when we first talked about it, um, we kind of talked about it offline because he was listed on the website, the USL website, several weeks ago uh, when yeah. they first had to turn in the roster. And um, I just assumed, like you, that it was a loan. Um, and, and even then I was, I was just, I was really baffled. I was like, why in the world would Manchester city loan, uh, one of their, you know, bright young, I know they have a very deep, you know, pool of goalkeepers. So I, I can understand him not getting playing time there, but, um, but no, like him, his quotes, uh, in that interview were very telling. He talked about how he had spoken to coach Jim McGinnis, uh, and that he was really excited about working with him. Um, and, and, about, and he talked about getting first team football for the first time in his life. I think we actually beat um, a League One or League Two team to his signature, Preston North End, Preston North End which mm-hmm. uh, that they're in League One of England, I think. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't tell you either. Um, yeah. But regardless, I, I think it's very interesting that a player of his caliber and age decided to go away from home um, to move yeah. to a completely different country. Um, I think I think there's something to be said about like getting out of your comfort zone as a young player um, mm-hmm. to to kind of thrive. So I'm really excited to see. Um, I you know even if he is like you said even if he is kind of a backup um, and, and and only gets a few spots starts here and there when when he gets his chance I'll be really interested to see if he takes it um, mm-hmm. because we we know the games in in this schedule they'll sneak up on you once we get yep. into Open Cup time usually you're playing i mean you're playing wednesday saturday wednesday saturday and then you might get a day a weekend off and then you're doing it again you're playing wednesday saturday wednesday saturday like the games yeah. come fast so it's going to be good to have um, another body in case brandon miller gets hurt and and like you mentioned competition i think competition will really bring the most best out of both players um and and it's not we're not going to be in a situation where brandon miller has to go out there play and play injured or anything like that um yeah so I'm I'm excited if he if he goes in and wins the job that that would be great for him as well I think, um I, I, like we said competition you know will bring the best out of both players and and now we have a a, a three man competition between um and I feel really bad I've forgotten the young man's name uh, who signed he he's like a two way player right he's like an academy signing yeah so he's not he, uh... like on a professional contract and I I can't think of his name he was on the bench this past weekend. Yeah, I may be able to pull it up here in a second. Yeah, I'm, pull it up because I feel bad if. Uh, yeah. 
for not remembering. Uh, um, it is. <laughs> Thank you, slow internet. I think it starts uh, with an H. Yeah, it's like Tosis or Patsoeus. That's I'm not saying that right. Lucas is his first name. All right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that we know that. <laughs> well, he uh, Curtis Anderson just got here. I think on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. So I don't think he's going to be in contention to get to even make the 18 this week. Uh, but it will mm. be interesting to see how long it takes for him to be in the 18 and possibly even be on the field in between the sticks. So, Absolutely. yeah. So another little bit of news, we have had three players uh, called in to international duty, which I think is a record for most players called in at one time, at least. Maybe we had yeah. more last year. Cause I think we did have one where, one week where, Cato, Kevon, Joel, and um, Watson were all called in. So maybe it's not a record. Uh, okay. but, um, it's up there, though. It's still a pretty solid number. Yeah, Kivituka, and I can't, I can't think of his first name, and I remember it being a tricky way. Tricky first Cabway? name. Okay, Cabway. Yeah. Kivituka was called in to the Congo national team, um, mm. and Joel Johnson was called into the Libyan national team. Those games are actually like really important. Um, they are qualifiers for the African Cup of Nations, which is going to be played um, this summer. So they, yep. I know uh, Joel Johnson's team. I think I just said Libyan. It's it's Liberia, not Libya. Um, uh, common mistake. Well, I want to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the Liberian national team. Sorry, um, they are playing. I believe. I believe they're playing against zimbabwe this weekend um it's a really or maybe it maybe it's the dr congo that they're playing they're in the same group that's why i'm getting confused is uh kibutuka and joel johnson they're in the same group for this qualifiers um in the top two teams it's similar to uh how you would qualify for um like the group stage it's like a group stage essentially to qualify for the finals of the african cup of nations um, so it's a really big deal if if uh, if Liberia wins, I think they will either go top of the group or like secure a couple point lead over the third and fourth place. Um, so it's a big deal. Hopefully, uh, Joel Johnson will will get ninety minutes and um, have a good performance, and m- most importantly, not get hurt. Um, same thing for if uh, Kivutuka gets on the field. Um, for his for his country, that would be awesome as well. Uh, Kevon George is the other player who is on international mm-hmm. duty. He played yesterday in a friendly against Wales, um, and I think he he's probably on his way back to the country now. I doubt he'll be in contention to make the squad this weekend, though, having missed uh, the week of training and having just played, I think, the whole game yesterday. Yeah. I forget. Where was that played? Do you know where that was played? Um... Was it not played yeah. in Wales? Maybe. I assumed it, it was played in Wales, but sometimes they play these international friendlies in... Um, Random places. Yeah, in, like, neutral venues. So I, I'm pretty sure it was at least in Europe, uh, if not in Wales proper. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, anytime you can get your, get multiple players called into their national teams, I think that's a great thing. Um, I, I think it's getting to the point where we're going to have to start taking... thinking about... Um, having some teams be off during these during these um international breaks yeah uh, because I, I think there was like i think this this window was a record for the usl uh championship 
They said that last night on the New Mexico broadcast, it was like over 30 players um, were called in Hmm. across the entire league. So that's like at least one per team almost. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, we'll kind of shift our focus now to the Atlanta game. We had the pleasure of talking to Jason Longshore. Howdy, everybody. We are here with Jason Longshore of Soccer Down Here and uh, 92.9 The Game uh, from Atlanta. Jason, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. What about you guys? Doing good. Doing yeah, good. can't complain. It's uh, finally warmed up a little bit. I've, I'm getting to go to my first game in person this weekend, so I'm excited. Excellent. I've uh, It's been a busy start to the season across the Atlanta United front here lately. So <laughs> yeah, you've, uh, this uh, is my first weekend off. <laughs> you've been all over the place. <laughs> yeah, nine games between CONCACAF Champions League, MLS, and Atlanta United 2 uh, since February 21st. It's been a little crazy. Mm. Wow. Yeah, sounds yeah. like it. So, um, you know, we're here to talk about Atlanta United 2, but um, there's a lot of kind of crossover between the, the main side and the two side this year, just with the, the changing the coaching staff. Um, how do you think that's going to affect how the two team plays this year? So the philosophy between the two teams is the same, and it's all about dominating possession and controlling a game via possession. So the actual game tactics might change a little bit game to game, and especially with the twos, because you don't know who you're going to have game to game. You know, you might have a game where you only have two center backs on the roster. You might have a match where you need to get somebody time at, at left back or right back or in a certain position. So it's a little hard for Steven glass to be consistent with formation and with individual tactics, but the idea of controlling games through possession, that's going to be consistent always. That's good. Um, actually, I didn't even realize the two to coach had changed. So you mentioned, you said Steven glass is the new head coach. Yeah, he was with the uh, Academy as the U-17 manager, um, former player at Newcastle, um, long history in the game, ended his career with the old Carolina Railhawks and got into coaching here in the States. Um, okay. Joined the Academy last year, and it, it works really well that he was the U-17 boss with the, the Academy because you have a lot of players that he's coached who are now breaking through into the twos. Okay. Was that a move that happened prior to Tata Martino leaving um, and Frank DeBoer coming? Or was this it after? It was kind of in the middle of all of it. Okay. Uh, Scott Donnelly, who had managed the team last year, uh, took a job as a scout with Manchester United. Okay. And yeah, so the opportunity was there and it made sense to promote from within with the number of academy players who played for the twos last year. And I think it'll be the same this year. We're already seeing... Uh, academy starters on a pretty regular basis it makes sense to promote an academy coach to the atlanta united two spot okay yeah that does make a lot of sense um thank you for filling us in on that i wasn't even aware that that had happened it's been a little bit of a busy off season for us as well so (laughs) (laughs) um i had i had a question from one of our listeners uh from jason he wants to know uh with atlanta finding success against louisville city pressing aggressively and causing their defense to give away the ball a lot. Do you think that they'll try to apply something similar against Charlotte? Yeah, it's not a typical press. Um, 
because I think the first philosophy with this club is always going to be possession first. Mm-hmm. But when you lose possession, that's when you see the press kick in. And sometimes, and this was something that Frank DeBoer talked about, you know, early on was if you don't have, if you can't build out of the back. Um, I think Tata Martino was very structured when they were working on possession to always build out of the back. Even if you're being pressed, build out of the back, you play through it. That's what you have to do. Under DeBoer, that's not necessarily the case. And when you do play long, then you can activate a press and mm-hmm. kind of flip the game you know, on the other side, which is a, a very effective tactic because I think at this level, especially when you're able to flip between controlling possession, playing at, at maybe a little more controlled pace, and then play direct and press, it can throw teams off. And Louisville had some problems with it last week. Yeah, definitely. That actually sounds kind of similar to what Charlotte's philosophy is going to be. Um, you know, our, our new head coach has talked a lot about it, applying a lot more pressure higher up the field when we lose the ball. Um, and we saw a little bit of that last week, but um, I, bet, I bet we'll see it start to come together a little bit more this week. So that could be really interesting to watch two teams try, trying to do the same thing um, and see. Yeah, who can do, it makes who can a lot of better. sense. It makes a lot of sense for Charlotte this week because – you know, I'm not sure who's going to be in the back line for ATL UTD2 this week. George Campbell uh, from the Academy has started both games, 17 years old. He's been really good. Um, he's a player that I've seen for a couple of years now in the Academy. He's definitely a big-time pro prospect. Uh, but he's had a different partner in each game. It was three in the back in the first week. Last week, uh, Lawrence White from Furman got his first start. Uh, played well as well. Uh, Tyler Ruthven is the veteran of the group, but he was injured last week, and I'm not sure if he's going to be ready to go on Saturday. So it could be three in the back, could be two, but you've got some young guys in there without a lot of experience. So pressing them would definitely be a, a smart way to play for Charlotte. Interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, – Ask the question. Um, Lawrence White, he did go to Furman, but he was also a part of uh, Greenville FC's first season in the in the MPSL. So h- how do you think his first game went considering his uh, experience and all that kind of thing? Yeah, I was impressed with him. Um, he looked pretty comfortable in there. And against a team like Louisville, I was a little worried when the team sheet came out. And I knew that Ruthven wasn't going to be available I thought maybe you'd see, you know, somebody else, either Kendall Edwards come up from the academy, but he's had an injury as well, who's played with Campbell. But White stepped in, and I thought he, he looked pretty comfortable in possession. I like his range of passing. And defensively, he's, he's deceptively quick. I wouldn't say he's fast, but he covers yeah. ground pretty well, and he was in pretty good position most of the night. Okay, good. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I was excited to see that he was getting a pro contract, and it's it's cool to see that he's uh, gotten a start pretty early on. Um, out of curiosity, I know it's, it's going to be a fluctuating roster for ATL UTD2, but do you see him being essentially a rotational type player, or where do you see him fitting in the, the overall scheme of things? Yeah, it's so hard to call because, you know, you have a guy in Tyler Ruthven who is your your oldest player in the team. He's going to play a good bit to provide that that stable core. But from the academy side, you know, coming up the other way, you have Campbell, who started the first two. You have Kendall Edwards, who trained with the first team in preseason and played a good bit last year in the, in the USL. So you have two young guys on the way up, and you have Wesley Dekas with uh, Honduras. Um, he's with their U-20s right now, 
So he won't be available this week, but he's going to get time as well. So Wyke's going to have a lot of competition, and I think that's good. You know, he's going to have a seasoned veteran in Ruthven to, to try to outplay, but he's also going to have some young, very talented players he's going to have to outplay. I think that'll make him better in the long run. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, we um we have several players out on international duty, and I believe it, I believe the twos do as well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Carlton is on international duty, and Miles Robinson is. But I, I as well as he's playing for the first team, I doubt he's really going to be in the picture for the for the twos this year. Is there anybody else that's on international duty this weekend? Dacus is the other one okay. uh, who's on a twos contract. Um, he hasn't played yet, and he's with Honduras. So Carlton okay. is with the U20s over in Spain right now. Uh, he started the last match coming back from illness and played about, I think he got into about the 70th minute, uh, grew into it. You could tell he wasn't quite 100%. He'd, had, he'd been sick and was kind of battling back. He did factor in at the end of the first team match on Sunday as well. So in a pretty good spot heading to, to play with the U-20s. We haven't seen Chris Goslin yet, who has been part of the youth national team before. Um, he hasn't played for ATL UTD2 yet. Lagos Kunga is another one who mm-hmm. was at the, U- the last U-20 World Cup. I know he's been sick as well. We haven't seen him factor in yet either. I'm not sure if either one's ready for their debut this weekend. Okay. Yeah, that's good information. I know the, the, the with the first team being off, um, there's probably a bit more chance that we'll see some of those fringe uh, fringe guys come down to the twos. Um, so that's good information. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. And, and one player who's been mentioned as maybe playing a few games with the twos as while he's getting back into full fitness is Franco Escobar. Okay. Um, Escobar was outstanding for Atlanta in the MLS Cup playoffs last year. Yeah. I, I thought he was their best player during the, the playoff run. Uh, broke his collarbone in the first day of training back in January. And he's back into training now. Don't know where his fitness is, but he's one of those guys, and this is where it's difficult for Steven Glass, is you know you have the opportunity for him to potentially play Saturday. Even if he can only give you 45, you're going to play him 45 mm-hmm. because the job is to get him ready for Columbus next week in MLS. So don't be surprised if you see Franco Escobar Saturday. Okay. Hmm. Um, that would be uh, quite a... a uh... That's kind of that's interesting. I I, I think that would be um, using it more as like a how the how baseball teams use their exactly minor league uh, their minor league affiliates. So that's interesting. I, we haven't seen a whole lot of that at least in the most recent years with with USL. But um, mm. but I mean I th- I think that's totally fair. To um, yeah, it makes I, sense. I, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're trying to get back to to match fitness, you can do you can only do so much in terms of training. You can't replicate you know a match speed and intensity and you have this opportunity where you're in the international break and he wouldn't be able to factor in for the first team as a sub this weekend because you're not playing so this is a chance for him to get some minutes and and get sharp and hopefully get into the team for columbus if not then i think the idea is to have him ready for the first team uh by the time they go to new england on the 13th of april okay Um, a couple other players i I was curious about um i I know george bellow has been really uh getting a lot of attention lately since his mls debut last year um is he going to factor in a lot with the twos this year or is he going to be kind of one of those guys that's making sub appearances more for the for the first team so he's not going to get a lot of usl minutes 
I don't think he's going to get many USL minutes, although this could be another opportunity for him to get some. He's Mm -hmm. coming back from an injury as well. So if he's ready to go, I would absolutely expect to see him on the left side on Saturday. Uh, Robinson, I think, is firmly entrenched in the first team now. So I don't think he'll get USL minutes this year. Bello is really close to that, but maybe doesn't have it completely locked down yet mm-hmm. with the first team. And and coming back from injury, it's good for him, like Escobar, to get some minutes. Yeah. Um, so one one other player I wanted to ask about. Sorry. Going through, kind of going down the entire roster. But um, no, it's Gord- all good. Gordon Wilde is a player who impressed me a lot last year with Charleston when he was on loan. Um, and he, it looks like he made one appearance so far. Um, do you think he's going to eventually be a, a full-time starter for the twos this year? He's kind of in between the two teams as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the 18 for the first team for most of the early matches. He was in the 18 for the CONCACAF Champions League matches. Okay. He didn't see the field. But uh, Frank DeBoer really likes him. And we've seen him in one preseason match uh, – back in February, saw him play as a wingback in a 3-4-3. Yeah. And last week, he played as a a true left back in a four-man back line. I don't think he'd ever played that position before. Um, Defensively, there's still work to be done, but he's pretty explosive when he goes forward. Mm -hmm. And he got better as the match went on and picking his spots. It reminds me of John Gallagher last year, who, who started the year as a forward, and then just because of the need and what happened... He ended up playing as a right back and then a right wing back in a three-man back line. And Gallagher now, I think, his pathway to Major League Soccer is is as an outside back. Gordon mm. Wilde might mm. be the same way. Interesting. That's curious. Yeah, he was just one. He was one who really impressed me. Uh, every time I saw him for Charleston, he was, he was like you said, he was very explosive, but he was technical too. And you could tell yeah. uh, Charleston really relied on him a lot um, to, to kind of build build through. Yeah, I think as a wing back he can be effective. As a as an outside back, there's still a lot of work there to be done because defensively it's still a bit of an issue. So would need to see more time there. But in a in a three five two or a three four three, if he's a wing back and can get up and down the wing and still be dangerous in the final third, he can be really effective in that role. Cool. Well, uh, Ben, do you have any more on the field questions? Because I have one that's more uh, off the field. For Jason. Yeah, I've got I've got one question. Are there any particular players you see that have kind of moved through the rungs of the uh, Atlanta United system that you think will make a big impact this season for Atlanta United too, and, and may partic- maybe more particular to this game? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, will Vent is an academy player who has played in both of the first two games off the bench. Uh, he was the guy you might remember late last year who was coming back to the States from Manchester United. And Mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a bidding war of some sort to see who was going to land him in their academy. And Atlanta got him. He would have played with the twos late last year, but I don't think he he even got here until the end of September. So they wanted to give him more time to to get acclimated and and become part of the academy squad. He went to that Mercedes-Benz Junior Cup over in Germany that was kind of an indoor 6v6 tournament for U19 teams around the world. Mm -hmm. He played in that and turned some heads. Uh, He's played about 20 minutes in each of the first two games. I love his confidence for his age. I love his range of passing. I think he's still kind of learning what he can and can't do at this level. Um, I think he's getting ready for probably more 
of an opportunity, whether from the start or a longer extended substitute appearance. So he's one to look for. The other is another substitute in the first two games, Guillermo Benitez, uh, left back from Panama, who uh, joined the club in the offseason from Plaza Amador in Panama's first division. Really tricky dribbler getting forward, uh, very explosive going forward, but he can play as a traditional left back. Um, not sure if he's 90 minutes fit. He joined the team a little bit into the middle of, of training camp, but he's a guy who, again, I think is getting close to being ready to start. So look out for Benitez if he comes on as a sub getting up and down the wing. All right. All right. I, I lied. I have one more question. Um, where is Jack <laughs> Metcalf lining up to play this year? I know last year he played nearly every position except for goalkeeper. Uh, yeah, about the same. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've seen him so far as a wing back. We've seen him as a holding midfielder. Um, I think he ended up playing as a center back as well in the first game after some subs. Uh, it'll be the same. Oh, okay. He's the captain of this group, and he will fill whatever need is, is there for the team. I, I talked to Stephen Glass before the opener, and – he talked about Ruthven and, and Metcalf as two guys who are so critical um, because they're the core and they're the, the veteran core, especially, mm. you know, it's one thing with the young guys who are on USL contracts, but when guys come down from the first team to train, you know, it's, it's Metcalf, it's Ruthven that they look to, to set that tone. Mm. When the Academy kids come up, it's, it's, they're looking at what Metcalf is doing as that's what I have to do. So Glass loves him, loves what he brings to the table. Um, he's been really involved with a lot of things with the club, trained with the first team some early in preseason. He came in early before the two started their training. He's a, a valuable piece. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better captain in a situation like this where you're going to have rosters, lineups change week to week. Jack Metcalf is such a vital piece of this working. Yeah, it's interesting to see uh, you know, Bethlehem kind of has that type of player in James Chambers. He's kind of the, mm -hmm. the mentor of the team. Um, you know, the, the old guy, so to speak, surrounded by all the all the kids. Um, so th that's really an interesting dynamic when you think about the, the roster makeup of, of the, the two teams. Yeah, it's something you have to consider. And I think when we've seen teams not have that component, you know, think back to Toronto FC2 and mm -hmm. some of their times in USL, they never had that. And it showed you didn't have that leader on the field and you didn't have that guy who could kind of rally the troops. Metcalf is that guy. And what I've loved is, is watching how the club has incorporated him like. He's not off to the side from an Atlanta United overall perspective. He's a very important piece here in the whole group. So, for example, last night, the Unified team, which is a, a partnership with the Special Olympics of Georgia, was introduced. And they, they do a great ceremony when they, they sign the players to contracts ahead of the Unified season. And Jack Metcalf was there with first team players who mm. were there as well to, to greet these players and... Mm. I don't know if other clubs incorporate their twos as much as Atlanta United's doing so far. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I, I really, I know there's a lot of complaints by some people about the two teams um, and some people are a fan of them. I, I would count myself in the, the latter crowd. Um, I, I think it makes the league really interesting because every team approaches it a little bit differently. Um, and you, and especially with the now league one coming in, 
um, you, you kind of have the the ones who approach it the right way are sticking around, um, and the and the ones who are maybe not so much are, are dropping down. So that's I'm I'm a fan of that. Yeah, the ones who I think are looking at it as an extension of their academy mm-hmm. dropping down makes sense. The ones who are looking at it as a true reserve team. I think are, are make sense for them to be in USL championship. Mm-hmm. And that was something that Carlos Bocanegra said from day one. Like, you know, he didn't want to drop down. He wanted that higher level of competition. He wanted the team to perform better than they did last year. You know, last year, I think everybody was kind of figuring it out what the level was, how the Academy guys would, you know, get accustomed to it. Um, you had some injuries with the first team too, that limited, I think a few guys who probably would have played more minutes last year, but you know, you've learned from it, and I think now you want this to be a place where a Will Vent, a George Campbell can get valuable experience, but you also want it to be a place where Franco Escobar can get back healthy and, and first-team guys who need minutes can get them here. It's it's really looked at as you'd see a, you know, a reserve team in other parts of the world. Yeah. All right, I have one last question, and it's more, I guess, to do with off-the-field uh, things a little bit of on the field sprinkled in, but uh, it's from our, one of our listeners, Matt. He said, in terms of popularity and on-field performance, Atlanta United seems to have been an instant success. Can you discuss how the history of soccer in Atlanta helped or hindered their rise to prominence? And do you think United's success could be reproduced elsewhere? Oh, wow. That's a great big picture question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I think the history did help. Um because there was a soccer community here that was waiting for something like this. You know, I, I think it's hard if there's zero soccer history in a town, but I think the amount or the, the level that it's at is sometimes overstated. Like everybody looked at uh, the Pacific Northwest and said, Oh, well they have so much history and heritage that it's obvious that the MLS teams would be successful there. But Atlanta had a ton of history as well. You know, the Atlanta chiefs days, the ruckus days, the attack days, the silverbacks days, all of that, you know, factored in and you had people around the game. You had a, a thriving, you know, youth culture. There's a big, you know, amateur culture and there's, you know, a city that's growing internationally as well. So all that came together with an ownership group that treated it as a first class product from day one uh, with, you know, local media jumping on board with it and treating it just like they treat the Falcons and the Braves and the Hawks. So all that came together to make Atlanta United what it's been. I think it can be replicated. Um, I think Nashville is going to replicate it in a lot of ways. I I think where they're at, they have a soccer history that doesn't get enough credit. I mean, with the old Nashville metros that were there forever, you know, you've had soccer in Nashville for a long time. They draw really well for international matches. And you have a city that is becoming, you know, pretty fast, a, a pretty diverse international city with a lot of new folks come into town that have their their soccer heritage alongside the locals. I think it's going to be a huge hit, hit there. I wonder, you know, how not so much new cities can replicate it, but how your New England's, your mm-hmm. Chicago's, your longtime MLS cities can replicate things from Atlanta. And for me, I mean, I keep coming back to you have to treat it as a, as a major league. And I think sometimes, and I think we all do this in the, in the world of soccer in the United States, that inferiority complex that, that creeps in sometimes. I know Alexi Lawless talks about it a lot. It's real. And I think, you know, sometimes we need to get out of our own heads 
and you know consider that hey there's you know a brand new generation of kids who have grown up with the ability to watch soccer on a regular basis uh play fifa play in their local park play on local clubs that you know i didn't have when i was a kid so for them soccer being a big deal is just natural and normal and it can be that big major league team in the market i think charlotte can absolutely be that um I want to see what happens with David Tepper and the Panthers and and all the talk that is out there about it. But mm-hmm. I think Charlotte can be as big of a soccer city as Atlanta, as I think Nashville will be, as we're seeing, you know, the other big markets. I truly think it can. It's just it's the right ownership. It's the right attention and it's creating the right perception. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer to a really good and, and kind of complicated question. I think we. We don't really get into these topics a lot on the show, um, so I appreciate you uh, giving your. I mean, you you're one of the, the Atlanta OGs, so really appreciate you give, giving that background. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I think it's just an underrated part of it is that you know this team Arthur Blank treated it just like he treats the Falcons from day one. Every time you saw a banner around the stadium construction, you saw a Falcons logo and an Atlanta United logo right next to each other, treated equally. Um, you had the Atlanta Journal Constitution commit a beat writer to the team uh, back in 2015, 2016, and and Doug Robertson travels to every match, um, home away. He's there. Uh, you had local radio. You had local TV with Fox Sports South and Fox Sports Southeast. All those things that make it legitimate and on the same plane as the Braves and the Hawks and the Falcons. It's been there from day one. So. I think that's probably the biggest thing you have to do. And and that's it, you know, for any new team. And I think for the existing teams, too, is you have to be perceived as a big deal. And if you do and if you change that perception that soccer is not a major league sport, I think you'll be treated as a major league sport. Yeah. All right. Well, um, unless, Ben, do you have anything else for Jason? No, I think that just about covers everything just definitely uh appreciate you taking the time and everything it's uh it's always good talking with you yeah anytime uh we'll see you guys again this season when you come down to kennesaw later in the year yeah i think ben is actually gonna make it down there for the game aren't you ah potentially there's 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 like a handful of trips that i'm trying to plan further here soon so yeah it's a much better soccer environment at uh, Fifth Third Bank Stadium. It's it's a nice place to watch a game. Good to know. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I watched the uh, the Concacaf Champions League game that was there, and I think the mm-hmm. there didn't the twos play like one or two games there last year. I think I remember watching uh, the them play there. Second half of the Ottawa game. That's right. That I, was, okay, I remember uh, tuning in for that out. one. That was a bizarre <laughs> experience. Oh. You're telling me uh, lightning <laughs> hit the truck, and that's why we couldn't finish the game that night. The uh, production truck got hit by lightning, so oh, wow. we had to call it after midnight. And <laughs> then there was no way to make it up in the morning. Uh, Ottawa had a had a, a trip they were already booked for, so you had to wait till they were coming back into the southeast. And they came down, I think, a couple days early before they played Nashville and played the second half at Kennesaw. It was. It was crazy, but that was uh, that was 2018 for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys can find Jason uh, at Longshoe on Twitter and at Soccer Down Here. Uh, if you're if you're not aware, Soccer Down Here covers uh, really soccer in the entire Southeast. 
not just Atlanta. It, it, it's got a heavy Atlanta uh, slant, but it covers other teams, uh, all pretty much every professional league and even some of the amateur leagues as well. Um, so Jason and his team do a really good job with that. So make sure you guys follow him. Check out the podcast. Uh, it's from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. every day. Is that right? Or every weekday? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Monday to Friday. Every once in a while, the time will get moved around because of travel. And uh, something that I think your listeners would would you know enjoy if they check it out is we do a USL championship in ten on Tuesdays. Just ten things from the last week, ten bits of news that that you should know. Uh, it's a ten minute show, and it's every Tuesday. And we're going to do a USL League One in ten uh, with our first one next week, and that'll be on Thursdays. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys do a really great job covering, you know, all the different leagues that you guys <laughs> keep up with. I don't know how you do it. We're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we are too, but we just, yeah. you know, it's we're hard enough with just one team. <laughs> <laughs> nah, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. I always love catching up with you guys. All right, you too, Jason. Take care. Take care. Hey, everybody. We are back. Thank you so much to Jason. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Uh, Jason is one of the good guys in U.S. soccer. Uh, there's a lot of good people in this in this world, uh, but Jason's one of the best. Always happy to talk to us, um, and always very um, forthcoming in all of his answers. Um, and really, he's really knowledgeable about his club. You know, he's there on the ground almost every day, so that's always good insight. Um, ben, how do you feel about the game on Saturday? You think we're going to come out on top? Um, it's so tough to gauge because. I mean, last year you look back, obviously it's different roster for us, different roster for them, but we we drew with them um, both in both matches. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily the results you want. Um, and I think they're, they're still going to be a pretty decent squad. I mean, they beat Hartford this year 2-0, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, played a pretty close game against Louisville at home, uh, losing uh, 0-1. to Yeah. Um, but it's it's really interesting, uh, especially knowing that they may have uh, was it Escobar? He said an MLS quality yeah, player. Yeah, Franco Escobar. Down. That would be really interesting if he is um, tearing up the the right back position. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like he's still coming back from an injury, so he may not. If he does, you know, Jason mentioned he may only be fit enough to go for like a half. Um, mm-hmm. But still, that's that's a half of a player MLS uh, quality going yeah. up against, uh, I guess if he's the right back, he'd be going up against Andrew Gutman. So he'd be a good test for mm. Andrew Gutman. Um, would be this week. So, uh, the only thing I'm kind of concerned about is the international players, uh, missing because it's yeah. Joel Johnson and Kevon George, who are two of the only, you know, two of the players we brought back from last year. And, mm-hmm. uh, two of our more important players, I think, yeah, two I players think, you can basically pencil in to start. Yeah, and what? And they both, um, I would, I would say that they both have the same, the same player backs up both of them. <laughs> mm. um, so Afrin <laughs> Taku has been listed as both the backup right back and as a midfielder, so he can't back yeah. up both of them at the same time. So I imagine what we'll see is probably Taku slide over to right back since he played there so much in preseason. Um, but who comes in for Kivon? I have no idea. Um, this would yeah. be a great time to have Greg Jordan on the squad. I wish he had not retired. 
Um, I know it would be nice, but um, come out of retirement, Greg Jordan, just for one game, oh. or maybe Jason <laughs> Bailey can can fill in there. But I know he's not much of a I know he's not much of a midfielder. So yeah, I don't know. I've seen him on the pitch before. His fitness his fitness is not great either. <laughs> he's been battling a hamstring injury, so we'll go pass. Um, <laughs> but seriously, uh, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see how we adjust without those players. Um, I still think there's a slight chance we'll see Yvonne George, at least on the bench. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Probably is. I think that's wishful Whatever. thinking. I, <laughs> if he's on the bench, he'll be like fresh off of a plane almost. Yeah, basically. Jet lagged and all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how we'll, uh, we'll have players fit into, um, I I almost wonder if we're going to change formations. I think there was a d- decent bit of fluctuation in how we lined up in that uh, based on the formation, how we actually played. Um, but I wonder if we'll see Mark Hill get a start or be a, a very strong influence in this game. Uh, I, I'll be curious to see if he gets some playing time. Um, would love to see Dominic Oduro, of course. Um, yeah just in general but it'll be interesting it'll it'll definitely be a test for mcginnis um uh, it'll be curious to see how he lines up who's starting who's starting where um and everything there i I think i don't want to say it's a lock that we'll get a win here i definitely want a win um just so we can get off the the zero points but it'll be an interesting game I, i think atlanta will put up a pretty good fight and they're going to have some pretty talented players out there, it seems like. So how we will uh, gel as a unit will be interesting. Yeah, I think this is the type of game that we need to win based on our schedule. Um, mm. You know, of the first five games, this is our weakest opponent. Um, no disrespect to Atlanta. That's just how our I mean, our schedule is just kind of brutal here the first month and a half yep. of the season. Um and and I think we need to take advantage of the fact that they haven't been playing with their manager long, haven't really established much of a chemistry, um, which I guess you could kind of say we have the same issues. So um, we need to just um, no. I think I think we should win this. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying we're going to blow them out or anything. Um, yeah. But being at home against a relatively weaker team. Uh, this should be a win. I, I think we get yeah. the win. I think there's going to be more emphasis placed on defending, uh, which uh, if you listen to the second Yellow Show with Dave Dixon, he talked about like cleaning up the defensive errors. Um, and he also mm-hmm. mentioned that, like you said, Curtis Hill might play a bigger factor into your – Mark Hill. Not, not Curtis, yeah. Like, I'm getting my, <laughs> I'm getting my uh, two, uh, two young players from the British Isles mixed up. Um <laughs> Yeah. So he might play a better, a bigger part in, uh, I guess he didn't play a part at all last week, but he could yeah. potentially slide in for Kivon is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm fairly confident that we will play better than we did last week. At least um, we won't, I, I think the <laughs> defensively there's not, uh, there's really only one play, one way to go, which is up. Um, wow. So yeah. <laughs> 
In theory. So, yeah, in theory. That's right. But I'm really excited to get out there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to remember to bring the stickers with me. So if you uh, if you want a Talking Jack sticker, just come find me. I should have them with me. If I don't, um, you have permission to scold me when when you <laughs> when you ask, uh, and I don't have them. So uh, if you don't if you don't have anything else to add, uh, we can sign off. This one's going to be a little longer than what Talking Jack's extras usually are. It looks like we're going to be right around 50 minutes. So uh, yeah. enjoy the extra 15 minutes of pod than you normally get. Yeah, that's for free. Yep, it's all for free. So see you guys <laughs> at the tailgate on Saturday. Um, yeah. Come out, pack the plex, wear mm-hmm. your blue, do all that good stuff, and come on you jacks. Woo!